Hello and welcome back to the Dad and Darcy podcast. We hope you've had a lovely Christmas and a happy new year. I don't know whether this will go out before New Year's Eve or in the new year. Depends how quickly I can get it edited. Um, But uh, we're back again for another podcast. And this time we asked you to send in your questions and you sent in loads of questions. So we've got about 150 comments on the last video. So we've got loads of questions to get through and I've kind of narrowed it down and selected a few questions for us to go through because there's too many for us to do in one video. But if we didn't mention your question, there's a cat climbing up a pole behind me. Um, If we didn't mention mention your question in this podcast, then, Just ask us another one and I'm sure we'll get it in the next one. So question number one from Nigel Hazelwood, 4822. Um, If money was no object, what bikes would either of you buy to create your perfect garage? That's a good question, that. What would you get? Um, I'd keep the R18, BMW R18, which I already have. I love it. Um, If if I was going to add to that... I'd probably get a classic 350, um, put trials tyres and wider handlebars and just use it as an all-round, everyday, go-anywhere bike. What else? Would I have another bike? I'd probably... I couldn't, wouldn't mind an old um, sort of 1970s um, trials bike. I mean, as in trials competition bike, but road legal, just to buzz around, you know, and explore places. Um, other than that, I don't have any particular desire for any other bike. I don't know, but what about you? Well, I do love my bike, and I've obviously made a video recently on the main channel talking about selling it, um, but we all have these thoughts, don't we? You think, oh, should I sell it? Um, but I'd, if I was to add to that, and money's no object, I think a Moto Guzzi would be in there. I would get a Moto Guzzi. I'd probably get an Indian of some kind. I really like the Indians, actually. I've only now ridden one or two models they're both of the scout range but i really want to try out the chief uh bobber because that looks awesome and torque wise 162 newton meters of torque at 2900 rpm so it's a torque monster and that's something i really want to try so i think that would be right up my street i really like the harley davidson lowrider s the 117 i've not ridden it yet but that would be up there with bikes that I really like uh, but also probably some older bikes uh, probably something like a, a Dyna Street Bob I've always loved those that was one of my favorite bikes growing up but other than that perhaps a smaller bike as well as a run around maybe a classic 350 or an uh, Interceptor but uh, I can't think of much else I would want I don't think I'd go crazy and have loads and loads of bikes but uh, I suppose if money was no object, I probably would. But uh... So the next question from Just DL. He says, uh, what is the meaning of life? That's a hard question. And, or, <laughs> what bike which you no longer have do you wish you had kept? That's a good question. Because, well, I haven't really owned many bikes, so it's probably irrelevant to me. But for you, you've owned quite a few. So that's more of a question for you. Yeah, I'll start with that. Um, I do regret selling my Harley-Davidson Heritage Classic 114. Um, When we moved down here to Wales, I wasn't riding it that much, and I bought an enduro bike thinking I'd probably use that more often, so I sold the Harley. But I regretted it straight away, so I really wish I kept it. And obviously I bought a BMW R18 after that, which is a similar sort of cruiser. Um, But I didn't need to sell the Harley, so I should have kept it. Um, So regret that. And I wish I kept some of my old bikes from, you know, Way back, like Suzuki TS125, I had a couple of those. Um, because they're quite valuable now. They'd be worth a lot of money. Meaning of life, I don't, you know, I don't believe that there is a meaning of life, to be honest. I just think we're here. Um, not being religious, I don't think there's any sort of uh, agenda to it. So, um, but you know, I'd like to leave the world a better place than I found it, which is not easy these days because everyone else is destroying it around us. Yeah, I think it's, we are just a... Uh a rare um, phenomenon in the universe. <laughs> we are, a, you know, an extremely rare life form which has some kind of intelligence. But I don't think there's no meaning for us being here. We're just here. Do you think that 
the Heritage Classic was better than the R18, or do you like them equally? I actually prefer the riding position on the R18. I think it just fits perfectly. Um, okay. Because, uh, well, I mean, when you get used to a Harley, it feels fine, but when you haven't ridden one for a while and you jump back on it, it just feel a bit weird for a while. I kind of like the way... That mainly because of the forward and, control. Yeah, that and the... The feet are quite high up, and then the uh, that, obviously the handlebars are quite high up on the um, Heritage Classic too. So it's, it is an unusual riding position uh, if you haven't been on it for a while. What, did you, what was the question? I forgot. <laughs> Whether you prefer the R18 or the Heritage? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I think I, I like the way that the, the uh, R18 delivers its torque because it's so much of it at 2,000 RPM, nearly all of it. It's incredible. So I love that. I think the engine is amazing. Of course, it sticks out and people don't like that. But I like it because it's so different. So I think on the whole, I probably prefer the R18. I wonder, I'd say it'd be good if, if next year we could get our hands on a Heritage again. And, you know, we could do a video on, you know, whether it was, whether it was the right decision for you to sell it and a bit of a comparison between the two. Yeah, it'd be nice to ride it again and see, actually, yeah, right. Yeah, I think that'd be good. Mm. But yeah, let's move on. Next question. Now, before we carry on with the questions, I uh, just want to mention that we have set up an email for you guys to send in pictures of your bikes and a little bit about it, and we will do a rate your ride section in the next episode, as long as we've got enough entries. So the email address is dadanddarcy at outlook.com. I'll put that on the screen now. So send us over pictures of your bike and we'll rate them in the next episode. Uh, but also we've had an idea of if you have got a motorcycle channel, perhaps a smaller channel, and you're trying to grow it, then if you're interested in us sort of analysing the channel and uh, giving some criticism, constructive criticism, on what you could do better or what you're doing well, then let us know. And we could do that in part of a podcast, sort of analyse your channel. You'll obviously get some publicity from it. Uh, but we might be, you know, if it is bad, then uh, be prepared for us to be brutal. But uh, we will, uh, you know, give you some advice and hopefully help you grow your channel. Next question we have from a chap called Will. This is a really good question, actually, and I think this is a question that a lot of people who are new to riding will have. Uh, he said, I'm doing my bike test shortly. The bike I want is the BMW R18. I think it looks incredible. However, it's a lot of bike for a first bike. It is, yeah, definitely. Would you recommend I get something smaller to start with and spend a year riding that or just save the money and jump straight into the bike I want despite its size? What do you think? Yeah, um, it is a beast. And it, yeah. It's a very long, very big bike. As I said, the torque is off the scale. And I think even normal bikers who've ridden 1000cc super nakers and stuff, the, the, the torque is on another, on another dimension. Yeah. Um, so really, you know, it, it's very easy to get yourself into into bad shape because of yeah, that. It can be quite and a the size. So Especially in the wet. Yeah, we are. Something smaller, maybe, I don't know, if you like the cruisers, a Royal Enfield Super Meteor 650 or... Yeah, perfect. Uh, something like that. It's not as, you know, it's not as meaty and you can get to learn to ride nicely before you go yeah. to the final step. Because it is a big step. It is. I think it depends as well whether you've whether you've not ridden the bike at all and this is your first and you're doing it all in one go and you've not had a CVT, you've not ridden a 125 or a 50cc at all. Because I at 16 had a 50cc for a year and I did almost 8,000 miles on it. So I had a lot of road knowledge and then I was driving for two years before I could do my A2 license. And then I bought my Harley, which is a similar size engine and not quite as much torque, but pretty much close to it. Um, and it is a jump, but because I had that road knowledge and the ability to ride bikes, and of course on the channel I've been riding um, lots of different bikes, even though they were only small ones at the time. But it was a big jump and it did take a little bit of getting used to, but you can be um, sort of careful with it and take your time and not open it up fully. But I'd say if you've not got much experience with a motorbike, then definitely something like a Super Meteor to start with, just to get your confidence up and then the bike you like. Because you might actually not enjoy it so much if you've 
not got the confidence because every time you ride it, you'll just be kind of scared of it. So once you're confident and you really are a confident rider, then you'll really get your enjoyment out of it. So I think that's, that's important to get your confidence up before you take that step. Yeah. And obviously some people you'd ask that and they'd say, oh, it's only got whatever 95 or whatever horsepower it's got, but it's got nothing to do with power with bikes like that, has it? No, exactly. Yeah. You know, they always look at power. And I find it interesting, actually, recently, because I started doing some Indian motorcycles, is when you look at their figures on their website, they don't really quote horsepower. It's really hard to find it. You have to go on other websites to find out the horsepower. They only quote torque. And that is the most important figure with the cruiser. It's all about the torque and people always get that wrong um, and focus on the power. It's about the power with a sports bike or a naked, but it's all about the torque with this kind of bike. So um, yeah, big torquey things like that can cause you a problem, especially in the wet. You know, they could go a bit sideways. Yeah, I actually had that happen the other, a few weeks ago. I rode a custom BMW R18. And I don't know if it's the standard tyre that was on it. I think it was a different tyre. But that was a slightly damp day. And I sort of gave it 30% throttle in second gear. And it went sideways. So that was pretty scary. If that happens to you and you've not got much experience, then it's even scarier. And it could go wrong and you actually come off. Yeah, you haven't got time to think. You just have to know what to do don't you, instinctively. Yeah, exactly. Right, the next question from ACD Cliff. I don't know if I'm saying your names right. Uh, what would be better overall bike? What would be a better overall bike for 300 to 400 mile trips? The Indian Scout, the Indian Scout Rogue, or the Rebel 1100? Uh, that's an Indian, in, in, Indian, an interesting question. <laughs> uh, well, I've currently got the Scout Rogue in the garage, and that's a great bike, and obviously, you'll be able to hear my thoughts on that very soon in the review. I have not ridden these normal Scout personally, or the Scout Bobber yet, so I do really want to do that. And obviously I've ridden the Honda Rebel 1100. For me, the Rebel 1100 doesn't excite me, and it, doesn't, it lacks that soul and character that I want from a cruiser, whereas the Scout provides the same amount of performance, if not more, and gives you that incredible V-twin noise and sound and character. Even on Tickover, it's still got that lopy V-twin feel, even though it's a slightly higher revving V-twin and more of a modern engine, it's done perfectly. They've really cracked it with that bike. So for me, I'd choose an Indian. Uh, which one? It depends on really how comfortable the seat is. Um, and how comfortable you are in the riding position, uh, which could depend on your height as well. So between both of the Indian Scouts, maybe just sit on one, see how it feels in the dealership, and that would be the decider for me. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Also, maybe with a journey like that, you'd need some sort of luggage uh, to take with you. So whatever accessories you can get fitted to the bike, even if it's like the um, leather bags that just hang over the back seat or something, you know, something to take take stuff in that would be yeah, but definitely the indians are much more exciting and more of an event aren't they yeah much more exciting they're better looking they sound amazing and they look bloody cool on it but you'll feel cool and it's a great bike to ride it is you know i really like the indians so i'm really looking forward to reviewing the whole range so hopefully i'll get through those within the next year next question from ian six bikes he said, uh, enjoying your dad and Darcy channel, thank you. Uh, question for you, since the old man is an avid R18 owner, how come he hasn't tested the rest of the R18 range? Okay, yeah, good question. And on the test ride side, now you have access to India motorcycles, please can you review the FTR? Yes, absolutely, as soon as I can get my hands on FTR, we will review it. Uh, but what's your answer to the R18? It's a shame that we haven't actually, but the reason is quite simple, that BMW can't afford to put a bike in the van and send it to me in Wales. Since I moved, I'm just too far off the beaten track for them to, to deliver the bikes. Um, where I used to be, it would have been okay, and we are going to move back that way 
so it'll be all right. Uh, but that's the only reason. And it's not worth me going to pick the bike up, which I could have do, could have do. But, you know, for me to spend a day riding my bike to there, leave my bike, ride the other one back, review it, ride back and ride back, the petrol and the time, it wouldn't be cost effective to do it. So that's the reason, really. Um, but now, luckily, you've got your A licence. Um, we had a chat with the chap at BMW uh, recently, and he's very happy to deliver the bikes now to Darcy. So we are going to be reviewing all the BMWs pretty soon, aren't we? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I really want to try out the different R18s. And obviously, the new models like the R12 and the R12 19 are 90 <laughs> very very much looking forward to testing those so this question is from Corin Snow I think if I've got that right uh, what is your overall favorite brand and why Harley, uh, Harley Davidson are pretty amazing in that you can buy a bike you can buy all the clothes the motorcycle clothes the lifestyle clothes benches stuff watches i mean anything you can think of there's a harley davidson thing to go with it and i think that's great no other brand does it like it um and people often say about harley riders a certain type of characters but we've never met anyone that we didn't like have we in harley dealerships or anywhere else on a harley the, ni the nicest people you can meet yeah it's a, it's a funny one and it's interesting because we've got a lot of comments on the video of me saying should i sell my bike and there's a real sort of even split of people who absolutely hate harleys and hating on the type of rider who it is and it's a it's a quite misinformed and it's very much going off of stereotypes you know it's huge stereotyping going on but it's interesting isn't it because it they seem to have created a sort of stigma around harley davidson and that never used to be there but it is more prevalent now than i think i've ever seen it it they've I think since the newer CEOs come in, it's created even more of a sort of um, hostility around it. I mean, a lot of Harley Davidson aficionados feel let down, don't they, by the company abandoning them because they're making the bikes so expensive and they've dropped the, the uh, 883, the Iron and all those bikes, the Sportsters. So I can understand that. So would you agree then Harley Davidson for you as well, or would you say something else? I think probably overall it would be Harley Davidson, but I don't think I've spent enough time with other brands fully to fully appreciate them. So until I've ridden the whole range of bikes, I don't think I would say another brand. But um, I think Royal Enfield are fantastic and they are absolutely killing it with everything they do. But I think for my own personal ownership, for me, I want something with slightly more power. I don't, I'm not a power freak, but um, just a little bit more for me. But um, I think I'm gonna like Indian. I think I'm, I'm growing towards Indian, to be honest. I really like yeah. all their range. Next question from Claire Featherstone. She's asked, if you could design your perfect bike, engine, frame, forks, and look, what would it be? And also, what band would you listen to whilst riding it? Do you know what? The BMW R18, we to be talking about that a lot in this video, but the dimensions are perfect. The, the length of it, the wheelbase, the rake and the trail, the geometry, it's absolutely spot on. Um, the engine is wonderful. It does stick out, and I don't mind that, and that's different, and I'm happy about that. But in an ideal world, if you stuck a Harley V8 in it, and V8, V-twin, like the 114 V-twin in it, then you'd get a narrower bike with the same sort of feel. Um, I think that would be it. That would be it. And what music? Um, I would never listen to music while I'm riding, to be honest, but in theory, uh, what would I listen to? Something, I don't know, I quite like jazz funk from the early 80s, so something from the band Clear, K-L-E-E-E-R. I love their stuff. I think that's a hard question for me. Um, I don't think I've found the perfect thing for me, but I do really like the geometry of my bike, so that's a pretty good geometry, and perhaps I'd put a bigger V-twin in it. <laughs> but I think that would be pretty spot on, and perhaps some better brakes, get it feeling a little bit more responsive, because the brakes are a bit spongy on the Softail standard. But um, yeah, I think that would be it. And 
again, I, I don't listen to music while I ride. I just have earplugs in. But um, I do sometimes think on a long journey it would be nice because if I've ever, whenever, whenever I've ridden to Wales and you've got three and a half hours on the bike with no music or podcasts or whatever, uh, it does feel like twice as long. Yeah, I think the problem with this country is that the roads are so dangerous and overcrowded and people drive so fast that, you know, you want 100% of your concentration at all times because, you know, if you're somewhere quieter and, you know, more pleasant, then uh, it would be all right to listen to something. But, yeah, not in this country. Are you drinking rum? Yeah, I've got your old Hopkin. That's a cheap one, isn't it? No, that's just a cheap uh, Audi one. Yeah, yeah, I just fancy something. My throat's got really dry and I'm going a bit hoarse. Yeah, fair enough. I love that. <sighs> I'm a bit of a rum kind of sir. But uh, yeah, if I was to listen to it, what band would I listen to? I think it depends on my mood because I I I listen to all sorts of different music: um, heavy metal, rock, uh, reggae, funk, jungle. I like jungle music. Um, so for me, probably. Something like uh, Gorgira. I love Gorgira. They're a French uh, heavy metal band. They're fantastic. So that would be yeah. the band of choice for me. Yeah. I've been listening to a lot of Acid lately in the gym. Really? Acid House. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I like Acid Fantastic. It's good. really good to work out to. Yeah. Yeah, I think music's, music's gone downhill nowadays. You don't get much good oh. music anymore. It's it, That's a very good point because... I mean, we've had years of evolution of music, Beethoven and all the way through to this fantastic music. And now people are making up stuff on a computer and it's gone back to baby, amateurish levels of, of quality, I think. Some of it's just terrible, isn't it? Yeah, mainly pop music, to be honest. Mainly what, mm. what comes out of the mainstream. I don't think I've ever seen a good song in the past 10 years. It's all rubbish. No. You know, no. it's terrible. And you think, oh my um, god! There's always the ones that are right, the the most popular ones. They just make me want to be sick. It's terrible. I can't. <laughs> I can't listen to modern radio anymore. Oh, I can't do it. Funny, I was watching a video on YouTube the other day about one of the um, members of E17. Do you remember that band, the boy band? Oh yeah. Um, I did a gig with them years ago, uh, New Year's Eve. I was uh, um, dressed up as Scarlet Pimpernel on the door, and um, they were playing. So they're a great boy band, and the boy band era. But he's, he's become kind of, um, he's, he's had some bad luck. I think he's hit, hit hard times, poor chap. So it's quite sad to see him on his, on his channel. He's, he's really finding it hard. Next question from Biker Believer. He says, uh, what brands do you see succeeding in the next few years and which ones do you see falling behind or failing? Succeeding? Royal Enfield at the top of the game. They are just smashing it and they're so popular. It's unbelievable. The views are always the highest with Royal Enfield and it's for a good reason. And they're obviously very, very, very popular in India. Um, but they, they are really smashing it out of the park with everything they do. And I think Triumph are on to a winner with his new Speed 400 and Scrambler 400. So. I will be doing a review of that next month. I've been invited to the press launch, so that'll be very exciting. But uh, what other brands do you think? It's hard to say, isn't it? We need a crystal ball, but I, it's talking about ones that could fail, I mean, Harley-Davidson, if they make too many more mistakes, they could be on the decline because um, they've got to stick with their style of bike. So you think, that's a Harley-Davidson, I want a Harley Davidson. They've made the mistake of bringing out bikes, like sports bikes, like the um, Live Wire. So no one's going to ride a, um, a sports bike with a Harley Davidson badge Especially on it. Especially not an electric one. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, and then now they changed the branding, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. And then the, the new Sportster S and the Live Wire, not Live Wire, the Nightster, not really what aficionado Harley riders want. Um, and some of the others, like the, the, um, the adventure bike, Pan America, Again, it's, it's such a different bike that if they keep going down that route, I think they're going to fail. Um, they need to perhaps make um, bikes like Darcy's bike, the Softail, Standard, Street Bob, but maybe make a 650. 
just do the same style, same bike, same size, but with a smaller engine. And that's another thing, when I remember it, why do, why do manufacturers make a smaller capacity bike smaller in dimensions? Because if you think about it, all motorcycles are made for adults. You don't buy a motorbike for a nine-year-old, then a 12-year-old, then a, you know, so it's not a 50cc and a 125. They've all got to fit an adult. So they should be the same size, but you get these tiny little bikes for adults. And you don't grow uh, from the time you're 17 to the time you're 90, probably, um, very much, do you? So they should all be the same size. Yeah, it should. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think I suppose they think, well, it's, it's uh, that smaller people might want smaller bikes, but also bigger people want them too. So <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, you're right. You know, stuff like 650s. I think Royal Enfield's, like the Super Meteor, is a pretty good size, isn't it? Yeah, Harley need to make something like a, a, a Super Meteor. Well, they did, didn't they? They had the Iron and the Sportsters, but they need to make, make you know, a 650-ish sized version of that. Well, they did make the street, didn't they? That street thing. And that was a 650, but that didn't do very well. But because it kind of was like, kind of didn't know what it was, did it? It was like a, it was almost like a Buell. It was like, um, you know, trying to be a sports bike, but it's not very sporty. Yeah, they, they sort of went wrong with that. But uh, yeah, if they brought out a 650 or 700, 800cc bike that was proper cruiser styling and sounded like a Harley but meets the regulations that would be on to a winner I think and is not expensive. They brought out that 400 haven't they in India but again it's, it's not Harley is it it's just a rebadged bike but you know you don't buy a, a Harley Davidson to look like a sports bike rider or a, a um, adventure rider or a naked do you want you want a Harley to look like a Harley? Yeah if you are this is the thing where, because they're trying to appeal to new audiences, but the problem is, is that most of those other audiences that they're targeting themselves at would never buy a Harley Davidson out of principle because they hate them. So they're trying to target people who won't buy them no matter what. So really they should be targeting the people who like Harleys and will always buy Harleys because they're diehard fans. You know, make the bikes for them. But uh, I suppose they still do. But you're a prime example. You're in your 20s. You've got a Harley Davidson classic soft tail um, and you love it. So it, it doesn't not appeal to young people. So they, they've got to sort of realise that, that's, that, that's the, that is the market, just younger versions of me. I think though the problem is though that I am a minority and not many people of my age would want that. Most people do want sports bikes and to go mentally fast, and that, that is what they talk about. They, oh yeah, I want this. I want this Kawasaki 900 uh, naked mental thing that's you know got 140 horsepower, and I want to go. I want to see if I can do 150. You know, it's like I don't have any desire to do that, but a lot of young people do. So I think that also well, is reflected. Where does that come from then? What's that? Where does that come from? Where does that that feeling that they have to get that bike and that's the popular one come from i don't get it because a lot of these modern bikes I mean, are very powerful but they're not particularly good looking either so they're not really cool so it's funny how where, where's the influence coming from for for youngsters to say i want that sort of bike i think they want to have the ability to gloat and say that they've done 150 miles an hour it's a sort of chasing thrills and danger you know they want to be on the edge of death and that's where they get their enjoyment but I don't enjoy that. I just think, well, I could die right now, so <laughs> I don't want to die, so I won't do that. But uh, yeah, one day they'll come to a realization that you think if anything happens and you're doing 150, if a deer comes out of a bush or uh, you know a car pulls out on you, you are you are dead. Darren Hall has asked if you were invited to a bike launch that you did not like the style or target market of that bike would you still go? Um, I think, yes, I would still go, depending on it, how much we didn't like it. If it was something that we really absolutely didn't like, then perhaps I wouldn't go. But I think even if it's one that you don't like, it's important to go because once you've gone, then you're sort of, you'll get invited to the next one. It might be a bike that you do like. So <laughs> it's important for us to do it. And we, we, to be honest, we haven't done any 
we haven't been invited to any bike launches yet. So we've been invited to like unveilings with Triumph. They're the only ones who've invited us. Until, yeah, until now, we've never been to a, a press launch and got the first, you know, opportunities to ride the bikes. But now we have with the new Triumph Speed 400 and Scrambler 400X. So we will be on the press launch for that, or I will. So yeah, that, and that is a bike that I do like. So, um, you know, obviously I was going to say yes to that, but uh, perhaps if it was a launch of one of their uh, naked bikes, I'd still go, but I'd be less enthusiastic about it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I agree with you there. I think yeah, you'd, have to, you'd have to be pretty much on the scale of like, we really don't like that sort of bike to say, I don't think I'm going to get out of it what you probably want. And it'd be better if we didn't. But like I say, at this stage, we we want to say yes more than no, don't we? Because um, to move the channel forward, we you know we'd like to review new bikes just as they come out before they hit the public. And then you've got the the video already made. Although you know, obviously the the, the 400 Scramblers and the 400X is it the X whatever it is, have already been out in India for some time. So it's not fresh news, but it's still you know the first European uh, launch, isn't it? Yeah, it's imp it's important that we are in on these things, and and it means that if we get you know first dibs with everyone else, then obviously that's when everyone's interested in it. But normally after the press launch, the bikes don't come onto their press fleet in the UK until maybe six months afterwards. So um, six months later, once everyone's seen you know all the other reviews of it people have forgotten about it then or they've not forgotten about it but you're not going to get anywhere near the amount of views you would when it's hot press so uh, this question is for the old man another question from nigel hazelwood you've got two questions in well done i didn't even notice he said uh, what's is happening with your move are you still going and is it on the back burner yeah we um we're we're frustrated to be honest because um when we put the house on the market was at its peak then it's dived, as you probably know. Um, we've had three people that want the house and they can't sell their own houses. And we're just sitting here waiting and waiting and waiting. And it's very frustrating. But yes, we, we do have someone now who wants the house, but again, they've got to sell theirs. Um, there's other people in the pipeline, hopefully with cash, but you know, it's, it's a difficult house as well because it's, it's like Marmite. You've, you've got to want to live cut off from everywhere and live in an old place with lots of beams and creaky floors and you know it's it's a it's a um an acquired taste if you like but um yeah we are going to do it and uh hopefully we'll be moving back to darcy's area you know in the next sort of few months and then the plan is to go to spain after that um right next question says what's a good affordable bike for a newbie slash starter now i think that's uh probably the best topic of the video I think because that is a hard question that's a that's something that any new rider is going to want to know because you're you're entering a, a world of loads of different bikes and different styles and riding styles and engine sizes and you'll just be thinking what on earth do I want to get so what would you say would be a good well, the, obviously, the other compounded problem in Europe and Great Britain is the licensing system. So if it means you've only got a 125, you can only do that till you get your next license, the A2. Then you've got up to 47 horsepower. So yeah. within those constraints, perhaps forgetting the 125s, which are just, you know, you choose a bike to learn on. Yeah, any of them. Um, would be... I'd say one of the Royal Enfields, yeah. the 350. 100%. Because they're beautiful bikes. Great fun, lots of character, plenty of, of power for the real world. They're not fast, but you know they, they'll go everywhere you want to go, and you can choose the style you like. They're beautiful, beautiful looking bikes, especially the classic or the um, bullet. Yeah. I would say it's the perfect first bike, even the perfect second bike. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. yeah, and it's a bike Any, that uh, you know, even if if you're a little bit more confident, then you could go for you know a six fifty or. Um, you know, an Interceptor or a Continental, but um, mm. they are brilliant. You know, they they're so affordable because you know four, five, six grand 
for a brand new motorcycle is incredible. It really is, and, and the quality is fantastic. I also think the Speed 400 Triumph and the Scrambler will be a good option because they they are a little bit more powerful than the 350 Royal Enfields, but they're still they're around 40 horsepower, I think 39 horsepower. So they're sort of a good in-between bike for if you're not quite ready for the 650s with uh, you know just under 50 horsepower, then that's a good in-between. I would but, think um, the the 400 yeah, so gram um, Triumphs are going to be because they're more revvy, I think they're going to be more lively feeling. So if you're not a confident rider, maybe they might be a little bit scary. Um, well, you probably won't find that with the 350 yeah. um, Royal Enfields. But I'd, I'd say from... Yeah, they are really, you know, if you're, if you're not so confident, then those Royal Enfields are perfect because they are very docile, mm. really, aren't they? You know, 21 mm. horsepower is not a lot and it's great yeah. to learn on but also it's great even further down the line just as mm. a second bike for pootling along and exploring the back roads yeah. they're fantastic so any of those 300s whether it's the meteor mm. the hunter the classic the bullet they're yeah. all brilliant for that so that's probably the mm. best we'd say yeah i can't think of anything, yeah. anything else that would be better really and we're obviously no, we're not going to look at bikes like the KTM. Do they do a 350? I don't know if they do. They do a 390, that's I think. That's a different Duke. world, isn't it? That's like but that's, entering the world yeah, of mentalness. Yeah, different world to us. And if you want, if you want to enter the world yeah. of mentalness, then that's a good starting point. But, that's um, a good start, yeah, you know, absolutely. But not our no. cup of tea, really, is it? Next question from Anthony Draper. He has asked, should someone in California who will have to rely on freeways in some way or another even consider a Royal Enfield 350? So that comes on nicely from our last question. I think it's a tough one. It depends how long you'll be on the motorway for. If you're going to be on the motorway for more than half an hour and you're doing it every day, then it might become a bit of an annoyance and you'll be cruising along at 70 miles an hour you're at right at the at the cusp of what it can do so and you're really revving the bike at that point so then at that point maybe an intercept 650 would be a better choice if you're only doing short motorway journeys and it's not a, a big thing then they can absolutely do it but i'd say if you're doing like an hour and a half on the motorway every day then it'd be a little bit uh, you might want a bit more power but, uh, if it was a congested motorway though, and with slower traffic, that would be fine. Because in and out of you know slow cars, it would be ever so easy. Yeah, but then also it depends on how you ride. Because some people are more than happy to sit on the inside lane and cruise at fifty miles an hour. So at that point, it wouldn't be a problem at all. But you know, if you do want to actually keep up with everything, then you know you are going to be revving it to be at sixty. So it, it's worth considering, but perhaps it's worth taking one on a test ride and doing that kind of journey to see how you get on with it. Right, next one, or three, he's asked three questions. Um, number one, what's your dream tour location? Number two, dream bike to own long term and dream bike to have for only one day, which could be very different answers, couldn't it? And then number three is favourite bike accessory you would put on anything you own. Tour. Um, I'm not a big touring rider. As in, I don't particularly like riding long distances. Um, and I think the reason for that, one, is I find sitting on a motorway really uncomfortable. Um, and I get this sort of weird vision that I just feel like I want to step off the motorbike. So I don't like the feeling of it. But secondly, being experienced in life and having been to lots of places, you realise after a while, everywhere's the same. So when you go a long way to go somewhere, it's like, well, it's the same as every other town. So I do find that, but saying that, I would, it would be somewhere hot, somewhere like Spain or Italy, where it's lovely, you can just enjoy riding along with an open jacket or a shirt and just taking the scenery at a leisurely pace, but with some warmth. So anywhere, beautiful, lovely scenery and lovely little towns and villages and places to stop and sit and have a coffee or a nice meal or something like that. That would, that would be ideal. Somewhere I'd like to do some, again, I don't like doing really long journeys. I prefer to get somewhere and then ride about when I'm there. But 
I wouldn't want to ride from here to south of France and then ride around there really I'd probably rather get to south of France and then have my bike there <laughs> you know what I mean um, that whole long motorway journey is just I find that boring to be honest I like being in the twisties and the back roads but you wouldn't want to do that for a 15 hour journey so yeah when when I'm on a long ride I can't wait for a roundabout or a couple of bends to get round you know yeah, it's just, just horrible yeah, sitting, sitting on the straights become sort of locked in it's just everything feels the same after a while mm. but I'd yeah. like to do some riding in America um, I've never been to America and I don't know where exactly I want to go but I'd, I'd really like to do some riding in America um, but also I went on holiday a couple of years ago to the south of France and to this area called uh, Gorge du Tarn and it's this huge gorge that runs through this valley absolutely incredibly beautiful place and while I was there, there was lots of motorbikes around and I just thought, oh my God, I wish I had my bike with me. It would have been unbelievable to ride there. Just amazing. So I'd love to ride down there, but also I'd like to ride um, places like Switzerland um, and Italy, somewhere where there's just incredible riding roads, amazing scenery, hot weather, Nice restaurants, cafes, bars. Yeah. And then dream bike. Dream bike for long term. We kind of already touched on that, didn't we? We've, we've already kind of done that. But maybe what, what would your dream bike be for if you only had it for one day? I suppose it could be something more extreme then, couldn't it? Mm. Um, I don't think I've got one, if, if I'm honest with you. Okay. Um, yeah, I, honestly. I'd say probably what I've got in the garage at the moment, which is a heavily customised Indian Scout bobber with a 240 wide um, back wheel. And it's very extreme, but it's so awesome. I don't think I would own it long term, perhaps. Uh, maybe if it was just a, a weekend bike, not one that you ride all the time. But uh, yeah, that is awesome, that is. Um, I'm a bit of a minimalist and I don't really like things on the bike and I, I bought this, um, well I, was, I didn't, I was given it actually, uh, this Wunderlich uh, seat and backrest for my bike which I put on, which is great but I, I think it sport the look of the bike so I've taken it off. Um, so I don't really like putting things on the bike. We're looking for a luggage solution where you can just put a, a, like a couple of pannier bags with a leather strap, bung it on, take it off. So that, something like that I, I think would be useful, but I don't like things permanently on the bike. No, I think for me the number one accessory is an exhaust. It's just changing mm. the exhaust, but that yeah, sort of would change depending on the bike. But mm. that is something I have to do. Any bike, um, I just they're too quiet standard. And that doesn't mm. mean that I want it to be ridiculously loud, because I don't. I want it to mm. be um, just a refined, nice sound. I think when I was younger, uh, before I even drove or rode anything, all I wanted was to be as loud as possible. <laughs> but now I, I think some of the louder bikes or cars can sound terrible. You kind of spoil the sound of it. Whereas if you get a lovely, well-engineered exhaust, it really just enhances all the sounds and adds to the enjoyment of the ride. So, and again, you always get comments saying, oh, I hate loud exhausts, it's like showing off and you want everyone to look at you. That is absolutely the last thing on my mind. It's all for me. I like the sound of it because I love the sound of that engine That's and I want to hear it. So for me, if I can't hear that engine, if I had my, my Harley-Davidson and it had the stock exhaust, you basically can't tell it's a V-twin. So you might as well have an electric bike at that point because it's too quiet. That's all part of the enjoyment for me. So I want to be able to hear it for me, for my enjoyment, not for anyone else. And I'm, you know, most people tend to like the sound of it and enjoy it. Yeah, from experience of having loud bikes here and there, I'd say 99% of people you go past and encounter enjoy it. And I mean, it's quite funny if you, you blip the throttle and you know, a group of girls scream and then they all laugh. It's, it's entertaining actually for other people. There's a few people that, that don't like it, but the other thing is it's, you know, you, you, you come and go in a few seconds. It's not for long. This is a good question. And uh, I've, said, I've said that about every question, but that's because I picked them. So 
they're all good because I picked them out. So <laughs> this guy, Mr. Hello there, he says, what did the old man do for a living? And that's a very, very, very broad question for the old man because he's done a lot. Yeah, I've done too many things to remember, to be honest. Um, I used to be in what's, a the best, what's the best things you've done for a living? Um, I used to be an estate agent, uh, selling properties, lots of different estate agents, and um, I worked my way up to one of the big ones. I was selling beautiful mansions. I, I can't say which areas they're in because it's you know, still you know, confidential, but you know, pop stars' houses and stuff like that, that was incredible. Um, I was a living statue as well. I used to do... Um, um, living statue work painted in different colours and I'd, I've been at Buckingham Palace, um, Natural History Museum, Elton John's house, all over the place as a living statue. That was interesting. I was a dancer for a while, a robotic dancer. I used to do a robot act in different places in the nightclubs and all over the place. I've done tons of things, photographer, videographer. Uh, yeah, I've done too many things really. This question isn't related to bikes but I decided to keep it in because um, it's a very interesting subject to me and one that's affected me um, massively. So can you talk about hair loss, male pattern baldness from both yours and your dad's own perspective? So for me, I started losing my hair when I was in secondary school in about uh, when I was about 16. Just ever so slightly started to uh, creep back at the temples and sort of get a, a receding hairline slightly. And it was kind of like I thought at that time it was a bit of an illusion. I thought that well, it can't really be, you know, it must just be my me dreaming it. But you'd get the old person make a comment and say, oh, oh you, you've got a receding hairline. And you go, really, have I? And then uh, it slowly started to get worse and thinner and thinner. And mainly on the temples is where I've lost it. So it just doesn't, there's nothing on the temples at all. And in the middle, up to about the, the middle of my head is very thin. So um, I can't have a head of hair. It just looks like an idiot, basically. But uh, it's a very hard thing to accept hair loss. And it's something that, as a man, uh, you never want to lose your hair. It's like, um, you know, it's, it's part, a massive part of your appearance. So I couldn't think of anything worse than being bald. I thought, oh my God, that is the worst thing I could ever think of, becoming bald. But actually, it was the best thing I've ever done. And shaving my head was like lifting a huge weight off your chest. It was the most freeing thing I've ever done. Amazing. And I was at the point where I was very seriously considering having a hair transplant. And I'm so glad I didn't do that because a lot of the time, they don't look um, real. They can, if you get the, if they get it wrong, and they get your hairline wrong, you could look, you could look a bit fake. Especially when people have got used to you with a receding hairline, and you've suddenly got this uh, really sharp hairline. They think, what's happened there? But also, the recovery process is like a year long, and it takes about a year to see the full progress. And it could not work very well. So you could have to have another hair transplant or have to take minoxidil, which is really bad for you. Um, so you don't want to be having that. And I just, I, it, it, the deciding point for me was, um, I was at a nightclub and uh, I was wearing a hat, because I used to wear a hat all the time. And that's why in a lot of the old videos, you'll see me wearing a, a baseball cap because um, my hair was receding, so I'd just wear a hat. And I was wearing a hat in this club and um, the bouncer said, you've got to take your hat off. And I couldn't take my hat off, but I had to leave. So I went home. I thought, I can't live like this. So the next morning, I shaved all my hair off, and it was the best thing I've ever done. I'm wearing a hat now because bald heads get cold in the winter. <laughs> I only wear beanie hats, but in the summer, um, I don't wear a hat unless it's to stop my head getting burnt. But... Um, Oh, it makes you so much more confident once you've done it. It's, it's the best thing I've ever done. But what, what, what about from your perspective? Because obviously the old man's got more hair than me, but that's because um, you get your hair genes from the mum's side. So all of my mum's side of the family are bald. But I, went, I was the youngest to go bald out of anyone, but um, obviously it's in the genes. But your side of the family, most of the men have got good heads of hair, haven't they? Yeah, some of them are receding, uh, but not so much bald. One of my uncles is bald. 
Um, but my dad has always had you know quite a good thick hair till he was quite old. But for me, um, it's only been the last ten years really. It's got noticeably thin enough to be um, not a problem because I've never been bothered by it. I mean, if anyone teased me about it, I couldn't care less. Um, but I've got to the point where I've tried different hairstyles over the last few years, and none of them have worked. And then in the last, funny enough, the last podcast we did, I've been growing it again, thinking, well, I'll try and grow it and have a side parting again, and like I used to have. But it's growing four times quicker at the sides than on the top, and then it make, then it accentuates the top. So I thought, God, looking back at the video, I thought, no, it looked awful. So I, th I thought the other day, I've been looking at some videos on YouTube, and I just decided to have a buzz cut. So I did it in the gym the other day. Um, and I've cut it shorter at the front than I've ever gone. So um, I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm, I'm happy with it like that because um, my hair just looks fluffy and stupid if I don't put gel on it. That's actually, it, you'd think that having your hair longer would be the best way to cover mm. it up when you've yeah. got thin hair, but it actually it looks better shorter. Um, yeah. Longer hairstyles actually accentuate the thinness. Mm. And if I ever did get the hairstyle right, then you put a helmet on or... If you went swimming or something, you'd come out with your hair all over the place and you look terrible. And, you exactly, know, oh, yeah. So it's just that. It's so much easier. It's That's easier. why I love being bald, because I, mm. I, I don't have to buy hair gel. I don't have to style my hair in the morning. I don't no. have to worry about when I take my hel hel helmet off and look like an idiot. Mm. Um, but also, when you're wearing a helmet for a long time, it kind of, when it's pressing your hair against your head, mm. it kind of hurts after a while. Yeah. But you don't get that problem when you're bald. But going I think... So I was going to say, so going grey was perhaps more of a problem for me because I went, I started going grey in my twenties. I'm only twenty nine really? now, yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I used to dye my hair like most blokes dye their hair, even if they don't admit it. But the chemicals, mm. if you read about the chemicals they put in hair dyes, it's very dangerous. It can cause cancer. So I decided, you know, quite a few years ago to stop doing that, and I've tried using charcoal and. Um, stuff like that, which looks okay, looks okay, looks stupid, really, if you see a photograph of yourself. Um, so, yeah, with, with it short, it doesn't really matter. So, you, you, it's two two birds of one stone for me, like the, the short hair for the going thin on top and for the grey, mm. it doesn't look so bad. So, yeah. it is what it is, isn't it? You are what you are. It is, yeah, it is. But, yeah, if you are, you know, balding, then, you know, do just try and shave your head off. And loads of people said that to me for a long time, and I couldn't accept it, but... Mm. Once you do it, it is the best thing you'll ever do. But I think for me, because I was, because I'm so young, to go mm. bald at um, before yeah. you're 20, you know, I shaved my head off when I was uh, about 19, I think. Mm. So to be a bald person at that age was a very sort of daunting thing, and to lose my hair that young, something I never thought would happen. But once you've done it, it's mm. it's you know it's brilliant. Now this is the last question, and. They've asked, what is the best road we've ridden in the UK? Got any ideas? Um, no, the funny thing is, I think I, because of the way we ride, we like cruisers, mainly for our own you know, enjoyment. Um, yeah. and I, I like the countryside, I like somewhere quiet. And, but I don't seek out roads to, to ride hard on, so I'm not looking for a road with lovely bends to carve no, up. No, me neither. Slide down, get your knee out. And, that doesn't interest me. It doesn't even come into my head. So, so really, right. it's anywhere pretty, anywhere where I yeah, can just I have a lovely view, stop and pat a horse, you know, sit at a cafe and have a nice little lunch or something. That's that's the sort of riding I like to do. So, mm. I don't seek out roads as such. No, I think I, for driving a car, I'd more seek out a road for for cornering and stuff because I like doing that in a car. But on a bike, I prefer being more laid back and taking it all in. So I prefer somewhere scenic. So mm. most of the roads in Wales, there's some incredible scenery. Mm. Um, so, you know, around sort of Llangollen, um, that area's got some nice roads and beautiful scenery. A lot of them are very narrow, but yeah. um, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's all about taking in mm. the scenery and enjoying mm. it. But around where I live, you know, in, in Leicestershire and Rutland, there are some really good riding roads for riding and for scenery combined. So um, we live in a good area for riding, really. Hmm. There was a nice road near where we used to live. And um, I remember I was out on, on my Harley, I think it was, and I'd just coming up to this corner. And this was a road where a lot of bikers would seek the road because it's a nice windy road. 
And I literally, split second, this guy was going too fast. He, he couldn't get around the corner. And he was just basically riding in the hedge, crashing as I came round. And he was okay, but, you know, he was on a, oh. on a sports bike. I remember that. I was in the car. Oh, we were in the car, were we? Yeah, we, we were all in the car. And, yeah, he came down that steep hill, didn't he? And then he, he was going too fast for the corner, oh, no. so he had to come up. That, that was another time. No, I was thinking of another, oh, another time. Oh, yeah. Right. So yeah, and, the, and that happened, didn't it? Yeah, he, he came bumping over the, the grass. Yeah, like that. that was on a. He was on like a KTM Super Duke yeah. or something, and he he's bombing down the hill, and he mm. he didn't he couldn't make the corner, so he cut right across our lane yeah. and off into the grass. Luckily, we didn't mm. hit him. But but in the UK, you've got to be very careful. I mean, I was still thinking about this the other day. We we show a beautiful picture of where we are, and people from other countries say, "Oh, it's so beautiful." But 95% of the UK is the pits. It really is terrible. Um, Especially the towns. So we do show the nice bits. So don't, don't waste yeah. your money and come here because it isn't that nice. Um, well, I but, wouldn't say that. But I'd sorry. say if you are going to come to the UK, don't know. go anywhere. Just no. go, to, go to the beauty spots. Go to Wales. Mm. Go to the Lake District, the Peak District, Devon. Exmoor. Um, you know, Exmoor, Dartmoor. Yeah. These Cornwall. Um, Scotland, you know, some incredible, beautiful places in Scotland. So um, we have got a lot of beauty, but also there's a lot of rubbish as well. So you've got to make sure you go to the right place if you're visiting the UK, if you're from America or somewhere mm. else. Um, but the, are, road, the roads some... here aren't that good, are they? I was going to say that we, we get a lot of no. potholes and a lot of what they call detritus, yeah. that gravel, and it's never swept up. Uh, so yeah, you, you do have to be right. careful riding a bike. You could be coming around a corner in the countryside thinking, oh, it's a nice bend. But then you hit a patch of gravel because the council never sweep the road. So it's dangerous. You have to be careful. It is. And also they do a lot of um, surface dressing mm. in this country. And they do it yeah. a lot around here. And it's so annoying. Oh, they, and they yeah. do it without warning. So you could be riding along your, your, a road that you're very familiar with. And then suddenly, surface dressed. And it's covered in stones. You know, it's thick stones. You know, it's two inches worth of loose gravel. So they do a thin layer of um, tarmac and then they stick, was it even tarmac, just something sticky? Yeah. And then they, they lay all these stones down over it. And it's meant to um, increase the longevity of the road. Mm. But in, in turn, what it does is give you loads of paint chips on your car um it cracks your window like it did to your car you, mm. you had it, he bought a car and he had it for a week mm. and it cracked the windscreen uh, mm. because of surface dressing so he had mm. to get a new windscreen for a thousand pounds week mm. after and the council won't pay for it even though it's their fault um and on a bike it's extremely dangerous because you can lose the front end and come off um, especially if you've not seen it and you're going too fast yeah. and also the um if you've got a mudguard that's very close to the wheel, um, especially if you've got something like a custom bike where mm. the mudguard's almost touching the tyre, yeah. then any stones that get stuck in the tyre then ping off the mudguard and give you some nasty chips on there as well. Mm. Or lock so, the wheel up. Yeah, it's very dangerous. Or lock the wheel up. Yeah. But the council yeah. will deny all responsibility. I mean, basically, all the cars that follow are the rollers. And you are doing the job of rolling the road while you're destroying a car, but the council will not admit it. We, I've met with them on site and said, look, listen to these cars. They go, and the stones are coming out. And they say, oh, no, there's nothing wrong with that. There's, they didn't see anything. There's no stones. Picking up, uh, literally picked up handfuls of it. Oh, no, no. So they won't deny it. They won't. Um, they will deny it. Yeah, they won't take any responsibility. None whatsoever. So they're useless. It's purely cost saving, but yeah, yeah it's, it's terrible. And if, if a road's been done like that, I will go miles out off course to avoid it until yeah. it's sort of all the stones have gone because mm. if it's a when they do it on a main road like um you know an a road it usually after a week it's okay again because there's so much traffic mm. but when they do it on one of the back roads sometimes it could take more than a year mm. before that road's properly drivable again so it's mm. really not good when we lived in that village that, that i bought a mustang didn't i big regret i shouldn't have bought it yeah but they did all, they surface dressed all the roads. And I was literally the slowest car in the world. I was driving everywhere at four miles an hour because it was so low no. to the ground. The tyres were so sticky. Yeah. It, it was just ridiculous. So it was a complete waste of time driving that car. I mean, that was the worst, <laughs> I know. worst experience Typical. of my life, literally. 
really. Still, still recovering from it now. God. Thank you very much for watching episode three of Dad and Darcy. Uh, we have set up an email address, which is dadanddarcy at outlook.com. I'll put it on the screen as well. So if you want to send in pictures of your bike and tell us a little bit about it, and we will do a rate your rides section, hopefully in the next episode, if we get enough entries. So please do send in your emails. If you want us to have a look at your bike, tell us what, tell you what we think of it, then, uh, and also get your bike on YouTube, then please send your bikes in. Uh, subscribe to this channel, it's a new channel, and we're trying to build it up, so we really appreciate any new subscribers. Uh, leave a like on the video, and again, leave your comments down below, anything you want to ask us, or anything you agreed or disagreed with in this video, let us know. And follow us on the main channel, Mr. Darcy and the Old Man. Make sure you subscribe. And we've also got channel membership now, which enables you to see videos early. So we put videos exclusively out early for channel members, so they get to see everything before everyone else. So sometimes even uh, two weeks in advance. We, uh, sometimes we've got a bit of a backlog going and there might be five or six videos on the members page which you haven't seen yet. So if you want to see that early, it's not very much. Uh, it's a small monthly fee and you can get exclusive access to early videos. So thanks very much again for watching uh, or listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Again, that'll be in the description as well. And we'll see you in the next video.